The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. Our show is all about the exciting world of real estate, and in particular, how it relates to the lucrative New York market. But if you're not planning a real estate transaction in New York, we still have plenty of information that you can use no matter where you are. Now, here's your host, Vince Rocco. All right, good morning, everybody, and welcome back to another edition of Good Morning New York. It is Tuesday, July 7th, and I'm your host, Vince Rocco, and we are coming to you live from Blastoff Studios here in New York, as usual, it is a hot and steamy summer day in New York, only to get hotter, they tell me today. We have a really fun, interesting show today. My guest is Craig Stone, and he is a seasoned real estate executive with an established portfolio of multi-billion dollar real estate transactions worldwide. A very interesting person indeed, and we will talk to him in a minute. But first, let's get to some news items. Uh, Comcast acquired NBC Universal in 2013, and last week, on July 1st, the telecommunications giant made an important step in declaring that ownership by listing up signs and lighting up signs on top of 30 Rockefeller Plaza. The iconic building is known as a tourist destination and home to NBC Studios. The Landmark Preservation Commission approved the change in signage last year, Curb reported. The General Electric sign that used to grace the top of the building has now gone dark. Comcast unveiled its new signage, and it sits alongside the NBC Peacock logo. Interesting times for sure. It took just 12 weeks for developer Steve Whitkoff to sell out 150 Charles Street when the 91-unit West Village condominium building launched in 2013. Two years later, a handful of units are back on the market after the developer offered buyers the rare option of flipping their contracts. This according to The Real Deal. Under the terms offered, the buyers will pay Whitkoff 10% of their profits, a potentially sweet sum, considering how high Manhattan prices have climbed since the project debuted. At least five condos were relisted June 24th, according to StreetEasy, with prices ranging from $6.7 million to $24 million. That's roughly 21% to 45% higher than their original asking prices. In New York City, flipping contracts is exceedingly rare, and that's the reason to report that story. Extel Development and Carlisle Group file plans for the latest addition to Riverside Center, a 24-story residential property at 633 West 59th Street. The building will have a total of 244 units according to a permit application filed with the city's Department of Buildings last Wednesday. In all, the residential portion will span 326,000 square feet with another 2,100 square feet to be used as community facility and 1,844 square feet commercial space. Extel did not immediately respond to request for comment. Manhattan apartment prices soared during the second quarter this year, breaking records across the board, according to a new report from Douglas Elliman and Miller Samuel. The average sale price for all apartments topped $1.87 million, a new record, uh, the report has found. In the new development segment of the market, prices exceeded $2,000 per square foot for the first time ever, achieving an average sale price of $2,011 per foot. 
And actress Michelle Williams purchased a landmark Victorian home in Prospect Park South that was last listed for $2.5 million. The star of films such as My Week with Marilyn and Brokeback Mountain was a Brooklyn resident for many years, but sold her Borm Hills townhouse for $8.8 million last fall, which, if you remember, was $1.3 million over her original asking price. Her new home features eight bedrooms, six bathrooms, a two-story front porch, and wood-burning fireplaces throughout. It was built in 1901, and it is in need of renovations. Good luck to you, Michelle. Jennifer Lawrence's apartment hunt took her to 443 Greenwich Street, a new condo building in Tribeca last week. The Oscar-winning actress and her mom, Karen, were seen at the building's sales office last Friday, possibly looking into units at the book bindery now-turned-condominium building. That building has a $51 million triplex penthouse that hit the market last year and includes 3,600 square feet of outdoor space, its own waiting pool, an entertainment room, and three gas fireplaces. Jennifer, however, is not looking at that unit, according to the New York Daily News. And finally, Joan Rivers' lavish triplex co-op apartment at 1 East 67th Street will go to a mysterious new owner. The four-bedroom penthouse has found a buyer. This, according to the New York Post, it has been on the market for $28 million. The identity of the buyer and the price paid are unknown. The newspaper said Rivers died unexpectedly in September last year during an outpatient procedure, and her daughter Melissa inherited the apartment. Anyway, uh, we are here talking to Craig Stone. He is the CEO of Stanton, Wells & Stone, a very successful real estate firm in New York City. Over a two-decade span, Craig has completed hundreds of residential and commercial real estate deals, and we'll talk about that. He has been involved with selling and leasing condos, co-ops, townhouses, and many luxury units commercially. He has provided brokerage and consulting on leases and sales, including hotels and high-end residential and commercial conversions, land development, and build-out projects, and has arranged equity and debt financing for his customers. Craig has been fortunate to work with some of the legends of New York real estate, starting his brokerage career with the Helmsley Organization and with Brown Harris Stevens. On his own, Craig built a successful international real estate firm providing investment banking and brokerage services from his offices in New York, Rome, and Milan. Throughout his career, he has focused on putting together the right people, the right platforms, and the right projects. Away from the office, he leveraged his marketing and deal-making skills to become the co-producer of the award-winning documentary, At the Edge of the World. Craig, good morning. It's a pleasure to be here. Wow. I mean, with that introduction... (laughs) Where does one begin? You've had quite the career and, <clears throat> as one excuse me, can tell, only continuing. Uh, but before we get into all of your skills you know, that you can help us uh, in the broker community, I always like to start by asking you to tell us about your progression. How did you start? Where did you start? Why did you start? And how did you get here today? I mean, obviously, a very illustrious career. Well, thank you very much. Um, prior to, uh, as you mentioned, um, working at Hemsley Spear and Brown Harris, um, Brown Harris was owned by Hemsley Spear at the time, and the wonderful, humble Harry Hemsley was there. Um, I, I worked remember in, Harry. Uh, he he was just he's the greatest, and I and I learned incredible amount. I think more personally than professionally, actually. Um, I started in Wall Street. And I started uh, as um, a salesman in the mortgage-backed securities area, basically selling uh, securities um, on real estate. Um, From there, um, things went very well and uh, went on to become an investment banker. 
that was uh, a job that was second to none and actually helps me very much today in the private equity area, uh, in the high yield area, in the debt area, because it was working with one of the great people, uh, arguably the, one of the great people of all times, Michael Milken at Drexel Burnham Lambert. Wow. And uh, we had the opportunity to uh, allow the minnow to take over the whale. And, and, and I think unconsciously it, it taught me that as a new person anywhere, you can do whatever the big guy is doing um, if you have the ammunition and if you have the team. Nobody's successful alone. You have to have the team. From there, I went uh, to the um, what was the premier um, commercial firm at the time, Edward S. Gordon, and uh, worked there. And one day I'd finished a very large deal, and Eddie said to me, uh, well, why don't you basically put your huevos on the table, as they say, and go out there and do it yourself? And, you know, I thought, I got to show him. Uh, from there, it was nonstop. I uh, became an entrepreneur, basically flipping properties, uh, buying properties uh, from F- the FDIC, from uh, portfolios from banks, uh, things like that at, at steep discounts. And it was an extraordinary, um, extraordinary experience. Um, as you mentioned, um, I set up Intervest, which was uh, – a firm that had 122 employees uh, worldwide. Uh, It was a firm that allowed us to become international, not only uh, in Europe, but in South America, Venezuela, uh, Costa Rica, Argentina, uh, which, again, allowed us today to do things that probably a lot of people can't do. Um, Stanton Wells and Stone um, came from that, um, and I'm proud to say I'm the chairman, actually, CEO, and um, just have uh, having a wonderful time growing and having fun in the business, which I think a lot of people forget uh, in real estate. I, I totally agree. Actually, in any business, my, my feeling is if you can't have fun at it, you need to move on and do something else. You say, though, your firm Stanton Wells and Stone is one of the best firms today in this market in that you are offering so many services from financial services, banking, consulting, etc. Tell us how this is most helpful to the luxury apartment and townhouse market, both markets which, by the way, right now are on fire. You have something that stands apart from any other traditional real estate company. Well, Vince, I believe I said arguably one of the best firms. And <laughs> since, since real estate is a business of perception, clients want to do business with people they respect. And having a financial background demands and allows me to come in the door as a player who understands the business. Um, since I have a large private equity asset management, hedge fund buyout, and financial services um, clients, um, we talk the same language. People like to use the same language and be on the same level. Roughly 40% of the buyers in New York come from the financial district. Uh, 40% from London that buy in New York are in the financial district. This gives us a real heads up on um, having clients that feel comfortable and in this very, very tight market allows us to go in there and perhaps get listings or off-market listings that somebody else can't get. How strong is the off-market market right now? I mean, it kind of fluctuates in and out, but is it really pretty strong right now? It is, an, it is a seller's market. It, it is a, it's a very, very 
strong market, probably as strong as I've ever seen it. I mean, if you look at rentals, for instance, there's a 1.07% vacancy rate right now. Um, sellers want big numbers. Uh, we see condos going up from five to 10,000 a square foot. Um, the key thing is to get a listing and that's, that's the issue. That's the obstacle. Otherwise you're not in the real estate business. So you have to figure a way with this tightness to use some out of the box kind of strategy to get into that seller and, uh, get their attention. Uh, I agree. And, you know, at the end of the day, the prices per square foot don't seem to be going down. But I'm always curious to know why a seller thinks that if they don't list their apartment initially um, and they keep it off market and they just whisper it to, you know, a bunch of their their broker friends, whatever, how successful they intend uh, to sell that. Is, is it- it's, very, it's a very interesting point. I'm now – I have a situation that's a four-bedroom, four-bath on the Upper East Side and um, – the couple um, couple wants six seven five zero oh, seven million dollars, which is very fair. I've sold two built two um, apartments in the building, um, and the reason that they are concerned about putting it on the market, and this is the first reason, is privacy. Mm-hmm. They don't want their neighbors to know what's going on. Mm-hmm. For some reason, they feel maybe they are. They don't have the liquidity or whatever. The second thing, and and, and as importantly, is they're concerned where they're going to go. So in any pitch that I do, I want these people to know first and foremost, this is where you can go because they will give you some idea um, where might be an area that you want to do. And you usually want to do it at a price less than what you're selling, the other price. So there is that. Um, their, that gain for them. But it, it's a very interesting question and it's a question that we have to fight. All right, listen, we have to take a break. Uh, we are listening to Good Morning New York on the Voice America Variety Channel. We will be right back after these messages. Don't go away. Streaming live, the leader in internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Put Blue Realty Group to work for you. Blue Realty Group is a full-service luxury real estate brokerage firm in Manhattan. With our global reach, unrivaled marketing capabilities, and veteran team, Blue serves some of the world's most exclusive and high-profile buyers and sellers. Visit us today at BlueRealtyGroup.com. At Blue Realty Group, we feel that people matter and results count. Our mission with you is to meet and deliver expectations to drive the results you want. We're ready now. Visit BlueRealtyGroup.com. That's B-L-U-RealtyGroup.com. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Good Morning New York, Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to vrocco at bluerealtygroup.com. That's vrocco at blurealtygroup.com. Now, back to the show. All right, everybody. We're back with Chairman and CEO of Stanton, Wells, and Stone. That is Craig Stone. So, Craig... 
Um, talk about the you know I, I mentioned last week on the show that you know New York is kind of divided. Okay, there are two types of buyers in in, in this town. So let's talk about the high end uh, residential domestic buyer compared to the international uber wealthy buyer. What are they looking for here in New York real estate? So we have the domestic people wanting to buy real estate and then we have the uber high-end you know, people coming from all around the world, the Chinese, the Russians, the Italians, you name it, whoever's right, in right. fashion at the moment. What are they looking for here? Well, it, it's an interesting question. Um, there was a survey that came out that the international um, uber wealthy buyer believes that by 2024 – New York will surpass London as a city that matters most to the world's wealthy. Now, that's a very serious thing. For the high-end domestic buyer, there's a great demand still, obviously, for high-end real estate in New York. But there's an active reverse flow of investment as well. New Yorkers are still domestically focused in New York. Uh, They are also competing with international investors in Miami and San Francisco But at the same time, we are seeing locations in Spain, in the Caribbean, rising as well for these New York-based buyers. In looking at it from 30,000 square feet, the poshest of luxury homes are acquiring the cachet of masterworks by Picasso and Matisse. Rather than for garages of antique cars or paintings, now it's trophy apartments, trophy townhouses. Absolutely. So uh, it gives you some idea, I think, of the difference between the two. And domestically, very briefly, we have 500 billionaires in the United States of America. We have 100 billionaires that live, guess where, Vince? Right here on our soil. In New York City. I didn't think it was 100. That's an interesting thing. Yep, okay. it's close to 100. And 75 residents in New York City, have assets of more than $35 million. So if you can't get a buyer, you better start working harder. So just in your opinion, because again, we've talked about this many times on the show, you know, given the, the, the normal, as I like to say, buyer here in New York, plus the uber wealthy, one of the 100 billionaires in New York City, or somebody coming in as a foreign investor – you know the, the the prices are so skewed. I think to the to the uber wealthy or to the foreign investor. How does the the little guy, for lack of a better word, survive? Well, the little guy looking for a property. Go ahead. Um, has to do one thing. They have to find a great broker. Now there's. I agree with that. There there's two brokers sitting at this table, who I would uh, recommend uh, highly. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing is. Of Somebody that has the kind of experience that you do, Vince, or myself, are able to help that lower-end buyer. Because what's happening now are multiple offers, open houses that are uh, going out the door. Um, This is a a time where they need somebody to guide them. A buyer today or a lower-end buyer today without a broker is competing with another broker representing a seller, and they're going to get killed. And a lot of buyers don't understand that. And I was going to say, so you know, the foreign investors have really changed the landscape of how we do residential real estate here in New York City. And your point is well taken, and I absolutely agree with you, uh, that if you need to buy something and you're not in that category of billionaire or uber wealthy, you need to work with a very experienced uh, broker 
to help you get through. You know, a lot of people think that they could work on their own and they don't need a broker. They're going to get a better deal. Right. In fact, they're going to get a worse deal. Uh, it's not as easy as most people out there think. Let's talk about foreign investors. They're looking for safety for their investments here in the U.S., but at the same time, they're looking for a great return on their investment and a particular cap rate of return that doesn't really exist any longer. How do you get around that? I struggle with investors these days because they're looking for, let's say, you know, a 3 to 4% cap rate. And unfortunately, you cannot deliver that to them any longer because of the prices today. And they will walk away when something is five or more because they can't see the return. All in all, investors are not going to get more than 3 or 4% on, on anything. Um, the ultra wealthy international buyer does not care about a return. What they are looking for, and you look at what's going in the newspapers or on the radio, what's happening in this world? Uncertainty. They're looking for certainty. They're looking for stability. Um, I just put an offer in for a three hundred million dollar hotel. The cap rate would be four percent. That's good. Um, which isn't bad. Um, but again, they're looking at appreciation. They're looking at staying in New York, and the hotel industry is flying. I have an Australian buyer who's willing to pay $6 million too for a 3% um, cap rate, but he doesn't care about the cap rate. I'm going to tell you something interesting, that between 49th Street and 70th Street and between Park Avenue and 5th, and Fifth Avenue, 10%, 10 months of the year, nobody's living in those apartments. Correct. Nobody's living there. And if you figure who's buying now internationally, 30% of the international buyers are not staying in those apartments. So you see what's going on. Absolutely. But, you know, I wanted to ask you, you know, to the investors, and you, you touched on a little bit, because I'm always telling them, forget the month to month, forget the cap rate that the 3 to 4%, whatever. Listen, I remember selling something years back at a 2% cap rate. Right. But, you know, do they look at the appreciation over the lifespan of that investment or or the fact that it's going to return significant amount of money because of appreciation or do they really kind of just stick to the, to the, uh, the cap rate and the month to month? return on their investment. And as you said, most foreign investors you know, aren't looking at that. But we have domestic people here too that have that issue. I think my opinion, Please. appreciation far outweighs. Absolutely. Uh, there, there's no question about it. They know if they put a dollar here, it's going to be worth a uh, dollar five at a certain point, a dollar ten at a certain point. Even when we had the recession, we didn't see great uh, decline in real estate. Uh, though it's an illiquid asset, this is – there are so many apartments and so many townhouses, even with all of the developers building more and more, um, that New York is the nucleus of the world and they know that they will be able to see that property um, grow. And in many of their countries, they are not making any return. Correct, and 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 due to their their economy and and the and the volatility of their governments, they want to put their money here safely. Uh, take us through. I mean, you're, you're a busy, very busy man, and you're, you're talking about three hundred million dollar hotels. You're involved in residential real estate with the uber wealthy foreign investors, plus a lot of domestic, as I said, you know, normal buyers here. 
Take us through your typical day. What do you do from the minute you get up until the minute you go, you, you go to sleep at night? I know this business. I know what I go through. Tell us about your normal day. Well, at night, I, I, set, I set the tone for the day. What am I going to do? Uh, it's 9 o'clock, 9.15 on the East Coast. I've had three meetings. The key to this game is being with people. You can't make money. You can't shake someone's hand on the phone. They want to see you in front of you. They, they may be with somebody who's, who's could be not looking for an apartment, but suddenly you're talking about something and they say, hey, that's interesting. It's like, it's like the family who's sitting on Sunday at the New York Times and they're going through the real estate section. And suddenly the wife, the husband, the partner says, oh, this is an interesting thing. Well, honey, we weren't thinking of moving. Well, why don't we take a look at it? Who has that? Oh, Vince has that. Let's let's give him a call. Mm-hmm. So you really want to target um, in, in that regard those people who may not be looking for an apartment. Um, going to your point, um, my day starts early. Um, my job is to be out of the office. My job is to be around people where I can make relationships uh, and preferably, I'll give one tip that always works. Be around people that are wealthy. The more you are around rich people, something will happen. Three days a week, I go out to a charity. I go out to an event. I go out to a basketball game with somebody or someone. I'll rent a, a car and take a group of people or clients somewhere. The key is these are people with money. Money is around money, and they do business that way. They also want you to look like you have money. So you certainly don't want to be walking in the door with a pair of dungarees, even if everybody else is in a pair of dungarees. You want to look like you come in that door and you're the guy that everybody wants to meet. And you can do that also with confidence. You can do that the way you handle yourself and the way you – basically articulate. It's called dress for success. And I tell my younger agents the same thing. So, you know, you dress for your audience. And if you look the part, you play the part. And if you play the part, you're going to get the business. You know, most people out there will say to you, okay, so how easy is it then to circulate with rich people, as you say, or people of money? Um, how easy is it to do that? Because, you know, again, we're, we, we, we all get wrapped up in our day. We all get very busy in the minutia of our day. How easy is it to do that? Well, it's not always easy, but if it was easy, everyone would be doing it. Uh, the point is, what is the big issue to take two or three days off and go to Fisher Island, for instance? You have wonderful place. You can rent a, a little cabana, and suddenly you're at dinner with some of the wealthiest people in the world. Yeah. Um, here's an example of who is this person? Oh, you have a chance to have drinks. You get to know people. You've got to be gregarious. You've got to be fearless. And you've got to figure a way to get to the rich. If you go to Miami, um, if you go to uh, um, people that are, um, you know, renting private jets, which people can get lists of and things like that, introduce yourself. But introduce yourself first by sending them something about you, about a property, and then follow up. The cold call is dead today. Nobody wants to hear that. Correct. 
I, I totally agree with you. I want to talk about strategies when we come back from the break, but I would, but, but I would suggest that this is one one of your strategies in getting out there and networking for, you know, new business or continued business or just making new contacts through some of these people that you've done uh, work with before. But how important before we go to break and really get into it? How important to you um, is having a strategy that works, and how do you put all that together? That's the, that's a priority. Uh, so if you have to have a, a, a strategy, an ancillary strategy, and a tertiary strategy, uh, you have to know exactly what you want, visualize that it's going to happen, and it will happen. The key to this game is if you don't know where you're going, you're going nowhere. All right. Hold the thought. We're going to talk a little bit more about strategy. We have to take a break. On the other side of that break, more with Craig Stone. Don't go away. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Put Blue Realty Group to work for you. Blue Realty Group is a full-service luxury real estate brokerage firm in Manhattan. With our global reach, unrivaled marketing capabilities, and veteran team, Blue serves some of the world's most exclusive and high-profile buyers and sellers. Visit us today at BlueRealtyGroup.com. At Blue Realty Group, we feel that people matter and results count. Our mission with you is to meet and deliver expectations to drive the results you want. We're ready now. Visit BlueRealtyGroup.com. That's B-L-U-RealtyGroup.com. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to vrocco at bluerealtygroup.com. That's vrocco at blurealtygroup.com. Now, back to the show. All right, everybody, we're back with Chairman and CEO of Stanton Wells & Stone, a very successful real estate firm here in New York City, Craig Stone is my guest. All right. Before break, we were talking about strategies and how important they are. So in order to be successful, in order to be in a certain place, you got to have successful strategies. How do you put those together for yourself? What do you think when you think strategy? Well, when I think strategy, I think first and foremost that, that we are in a service business first and the real estate business second. Uh, your ego has to be subservient to everything and everybody, which is not easy and certainly not easy for me. Your job is to accommodate your client because many of them are going to be very wealthy. F. Scott Fitzgerald said the rich are different. And the higher up the pole you go – I love that. I can't believe you just said that. That's uh, you will see that. The other, A couple of other quick things I would mention is I try to brand myself – not advertising, what I call pray, not pay. And the reality is that take, – take example, Vince has a show. People know that through the show he has experience. He handles himself a certain way. Um, he has branded – you have branded yourself in a way that people would want to come to you. I believe it's not about selling to, 
but it's about the buyer coming to you. Um, yeah, 100%. And there's a great book I would recommend to your audience. Uh, it's The Fall of Advertising and the Rise of PR by Al and Laura Rice. Um, if you look at some of the best brokers in New York City, look at them and the way they have branded themselves because uh, that is the key to this business. Um, for the newer people in this business, you got to have inventory. If you don't have inventory, you're not in the real estate business. You're in another business. Go to somebody at your office. Ask them if you could use a show sheet that you can go around with. When I first started, I would go to places like the uh, Plaza Food Court with a bunch of show sheets. And I would take those show sheets and if I would see somebody coming down with a mink coat, I'd go up to them. I'd say, I'm Mr. Stone. I am the chairman of uh, Stanton Wells and Stone. I'd like you to take a look. A beautifully done show sheet will never be turned down. And I remembered not too long ago giving it to a gentleman in his 70s. And his wife said, well, I'd like one also. At the end of the day, we made a deal. The point is use your colleagues' information at the beginning. That is key for you. Um, this business is about getting yourself out there. You've got to sell, bringing the buyer in, and you've got to market. Um, I would suggest that all in all, one strategy has been very successful, and I'm sure Vincent's done it quite a bit. I have, and you know it's interesting because I tell my new agents uh, who ask me all the time, "How can I network? How can I?" And I'm almost saying, "You got a farm for new business." And I've said to them many, many times, take a bunch of show sheets, take a bunch of floor plans, take anything that has real estate over it, go have a cocktail at a bar, sit down and put them all over the bar and pretend you're working. Exactly. And at the end of the day, you know, someone will come up and ask you a couple of questions and with your confidence and your credibility to explain or answer that question, you may get a customer and oftentimes, I have to tell you something, they come back and say, wow, Vince, you know what? I think I might be onto something. Absolutely. Amen. So here's my next question. When a strategy for whatever reason doesn't work and you got to change it up, can you do it midstream? Do you do it midstream? What's next when it doesn't work? You should always have, again, like I said, an ancillary or tertiary t strategy. If you go to Hollywood and you go to pitch a network on a show, um, the first thing they're going to say is, I don't like the show. What else do you have? It taught me something years ago. So the reality is you always want to have something else, whether to show them if they don't like something or if there's two offers in, how to figure out which one is better than the other. Um, if you don't come in with two or three, you're a one-sided, one-dimensional person and it's going to kill you in this business. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. One of your firm's platforms is real estate development. You know, development is near and dear to my heart. I spent uh, five and a half years selling new development when I was at a, a previous firm. The intricacies, though, of developing a property in New York are enormous and, and cannot be overstated. Your firm has advised on numerous projects, but your firm has also been the lead developer in the construction and sale of two Manhattan fixtures. Tell us about that. Uh, thank you very much because um – very excited. One of them was a 22-story, 97-unit residential building, mm -hmm. um, and another was a 33-story, 203-unit uh, mixed-use property. And I got into the development area very briefly because I started assembling sites and then getting them rezoned um, and set up a team. 
Then, uh, as Mr. Gordon said about uh, putting my huevos on the table, I went out and got a site um, and went to work. And I decided this is what I'm going to do. Um, I saw the site from my uh, – I was on the top floor of a building that I was living in. I said, this is a perfect assemb- assemblage. And it is the most exciting thing to experience. I recommend it to you all, and I truly believe anybody can become a developer. Private equity raises money for you. Um, if you're able to find a product at the right price, you can become a developer because you have the right team. What I have always done in my life is hire people smarter than myself. I'm the stupidest one at the firm. I I will tell you that. I doubt it. (laughs) But the reality is you want people. Uh, In the first building, just to give you an idea, we thought it would be 16 stories. um, And uh, they said it would be 14 stories. And as Vince said, you come up with a different strategy. What did we do? We can't deliver it over two buildings, bought the air rights 15 feet over and had a longer base than the 49 feet that we had before. It couldn't be more exciting when you top out. Um, And uh, I recommend it to you and I recommend you take courses also in real estate development because it may be the catalyst to you getting involved with it. On the heels of that, another one of your firm's um, services or platforms is investment banking. So How do you work in connecting capital seekers with capital providers both in the U.S. and internationally? And I'm assuming in one or both of these buildings, you had to do a lot of financial uh, maneuvering to get investment. How how does your company deal with that? Well, I've been doing it so long that um, I know the players. um, I know which institutional um, firms are lending money. um, I know which institutional firms have the equity. So for me now, it's just putting the right puzzle together Mm -hmm. if I have the right thing. Um, For those going out there, um, there are firms that put – allocate a certain amount of money for real estate. And you can certainly send them some information and try to find out what they're looking for and use that as a catalyst to try to find property. Um, So for me, it may be a little different than some of the others, but – Go out there and try to put the two together. Um, there are always people looking to buy. There are always look people looking to sell. And there's people that are in trouble and they need money. And you may be the one to come in with your group and maybe you'll just get a brokerage fee on it or a commission. But maybe you'll get equity in the, in the building. So it's very exciting and I, I wish you all would try it. Uh, yeah, you know, I, I, I consider myself, you know, a developer in, in, in the making, so to speak. I would love – my ideal is to buy townhouses and convert them either into one families or into multiple families and, you know, but, you know, the price of these the price of these townhouses today, you know, make it almost impossible to convert them into, say, four or five condominium units because the, the return is probably not going to be there. But, you know, creatively, there are probably ways to do it and I'm, I'm going to conquer it before I finish in this real estate business. You have to. You have to. That's we, what I'm going to do. We have an off-market uh, townhouse on the Upper East Side for $57 million. Somebody is going to figure out mm-hmm. a way – it's commercially and residentially zoned to do that. Um, the interesting thing is – Keep in mind, in this business, we can leverage. We're buying contracts. 
if you can get a long-term contract, which is sometimes hard, mm-hmm. and a soft contract instead of a hard contract, which is sometimes hard, mm-hmm. you may be able to do it. Well, like I said, I'm going to put my, my thinking cap on and get there. Speaking of uh, off-market stuff, the residential marketplace is complex at times. And identifying undervalued properties for buyers, both publicly available and off-market, is difficult. How does your firm provide to the investor and residential buyer a unique advantage, especially you know with this off-market stuff? As you just said, a fifty-seven million dollar townhouse off-market. You know, how do you provide to investors and, and residential buyers that unique advantage? Well, the, it's really um, what is the nothing great that that I've done. Uh, it's just the amount of years that I put on the relationships that I put in. Um, it's a very interesting thing. Um, I had a $10 million uh, uh, apartment that uh, a seller came to me and said, uh, in, a, in a beautiful building, and said, um, Craig, I'd, I'd like to sell your apartment. And I said, why? She said, I had no money. This is all I have. And you would be surprised that a lot of people are illiquid, or don't have money, um, and this is their only asset. They don't want people to know that. They trust you because really it's a, it comes down to character. And, and we, we have to remember that this is all we have, our integrity with, the, with our clients. Um, ended up um, getting the apartment. Um, uh, she had it, uh, was going to put it up for a price lower than what it was worth, I put it a million dollars higher and went to contract in three to three weeks. Very interesting. All right, so switching gears just a little bit. Tell us about the ins and outs of the New York City office space market, which can be considered commercial. What are the best values for location and space availability? How, how much do you guys play in that arena? We, we do play a bit in the arena. The Manhattan office market finished the second quarter of 2015 – with about 9.5 million square feet of leasing activity. That's outpacing the 10-year quarterly average of 8.7 million square feet. So the office market is very brisk. Why is it brisk? Well, you have sort of the international players, but then you have the tech players. You have the Googles, the Twitters, uh, these kind of people. You're looking at, just to give you an overall thing, uh, price points of Midtown, at about seventy dollars, uh, Midtown South at about fifty six, downtown. And we're at talking about, uh, per, per, per square foot, foot. right? Okay, forty nine dollars, um, and the top, say twenty five buildings, will run you about one hundred twenty seven per square foot. Isn't so the question a- is, where where is the opportunity? And looking through it, um, there's at least thirty million square feet of space available in Midtown right now. Uh, about 10 million of that is sublet space. Sublet space, many times you get lower. Um, office demand uh, is at its lowest in two decades at this point. I would say that the result of this is that the excellent space could be had in the best midtown locations in the mid 50s per square foot versus perhaps the high 70s or low 80s. Is it safe to say, because my company is now looking for some space, some additional space, larger space downtown, we're growing uh, and we want to move our our focus downtown as well. Is it safe to say, just like on the residential side, that 
because of the Googles of the world and all these high-tech companies taking you know, some of these glamorous spaces, increasing the price per foot, Correct. that that kind of trickles down to the smaller office spaces? Because I'm looking at stuff, I mean, all over the map, you know, price per square foot-wise. Uh, and I'm thinking, all right, so I'm not looking for 50,000 square feet. I'm looking for two or three thousand, four thousand square feet, whatever. And the price per foot and the price for the overall cost of that office per month, you know, in some cases is astronomical. It's driving me insane in that particular search. All right, I'm just being told we got to go to break. We will finish that thought because I'm really curious on the other side. We will be right back after these messages. Don't go away. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Put Blue Realty Group to work for you. Blue Realty Group is a full-service luxury real estate brokerage firm in Manhattan. With our global reach, unrivaled marketing capabilities, and veteran team, Blue serves some of the world's most exclusive and high-profile buyers and sellers. Visit us today at BlueRealtyGroup.com. At Blue Realty Group, we feel that people matter and results count. Our mission with you is to meet and deliver expectations to drive the results you want. We're ready now. Visit BlueRealtyGroup.com. That's B-L-U-RealtyGroup.com. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to vrocco at bluerealtygroup.com. That's vrocco at blurealtygroup.com. Now, back to the show. All right, everybody. We're back with our last segment with Craig Stone, CEO and chairman of Stanton Wells and Stone. So, Craig, I just wanted to finish our thought from the, uh, before the break on the commercial space and the fact that you know, some of these larger companies like the Googles of the world are kind of inflating the prices per square foot for even the smaller spaces, which I am looking for for my firm. Is there some truth in that? There's a lot of truth in that. If you, it's, it's very similar to when the prices are high here, they start to go out to the suburbs. Yeah. Um, if you look at Midtown Manhattan now, the occupancy costs all in are approximately $127 a square foot. Again, if you have less expensive space. Now, to give you some idea, Hong Kong is at 254 oh, yeah, yeah. London at 267 per square foot. London, 267 a foot. You got it. Wow. Okay, so we're going to move uh, over to some fun stuff. Craig, in addition to being the real estate executive and guru, is also a media star and has been involved in so many things. Recently, you appeared on Bravo's Million Dollar Listing uh, with Ryan Serhant, and the appearance was great. It was entertaining. I enjoyed the couple of segments. What was it like to work with Ryan and what is it like to work on Million Dollar Listing? Because, you know, obviously the show is huge. It was up for an Emmy last year. This season just concluded. It was fantastic. Uh, it's known around the world. And again, this is a global show. So everybody around the world listens and watches. Tell us about that. Well, I must say that to talk about Ryan first, 
Um, We've been trying to get him on the show, by the way. Um, I'll, I'll mention it to him, I'm sure. But if not, um, he's a class act. Uh, Ryan and I now have closed two deals together, though we're at different firms. Um, we are now representing 610 Park Avenue at the Mayfair. Just a plug, uh, 2,057 square feet for five million eight. Absolutely incredible walk-in space. Uh, under $6,000 a month in, in carrying charges. Uh, we are pitching on two uh, other things, and it's just been a wonderful relationship and uh, I, mutual respect, certainly. Um, the crew at Million Dollar Listing and the producers are second to none. Um, I've done a few things in Hollywood, and I will tell you that uh, every one of them, after one segment, uh, I gave a hug to because they really – brought a lot to the table uh, from the audio engineer to the producer um, to the stand-ins. Tell us a little bit quickly about how the, the, the segments are produced. I mean, it, it, it's a reality program. It's very fast-moving. It's real estate. Uh, it's top stars, and they bring on very successful people as yourself. How, how do they produce a segment you know, so quickly? I'm always intrigued by how this is done. Well, these all of what you see on Million Dollar Listing is real. Uh, the only difference is it takes more than 20 minutes to do a deal, uh, uh, which it could be uh, seven months. But other than that, they basically just uh, – uh, if I had the buyer at that time and Ryan had the seller, mm-hmm. they just gave a few um, – points and let us go. And uh, to Ryan's credit, he was very gracious in uh, allowing me to uh, to do my thing. To your point and to uh, the credit of Billion Dollar Listing, you know, those guys shoot many, many months a year for eight or nine or 10 segments per season. So what you may see a deal being done in 20 minutes really may have taken seven months and the filming comes in and out as as the need arises for that guest star for that for that, uh, for that deal. Absolutely. So just to kind of clarify that for the listen, listening audience out there who is not familiar with how television production in the reality world works. Let's talk about the world away. This documentary is about the mission to the moon and the frame and framed by the space program's origins in Nazi Germany. I found this very fascinating. The film features two individuals from the tragic past, a chief engineer of the Nazi rocket program and a slave laborer and his country's and this country's last survivor of the underground V2 factory in which 25,000 men, women and children were worked to death. You produced this documentary. What did it mean to you? It meant a lot. Um, it- Producing is not dissimilar from real estate, except in Hollywood, um, the sharks are bigger and the numbers never add up. Um, but uh, to me, in, in, a, in a, a few words, it was really mankind's brightest achievement was born in the darkest places. Mm. We got all this footage from NASA. Um, we had the opportunity to meet the gentleman who was in the camp. And it was so moving um, that uh, and this gentleman was such a humble person to tell this story had to be told. And uh, that's how, uh, how I felt about it. And uh, I'm, I'm very proud of the result, winning two international awards. I was going to say that, that won a couple of awards. How did that make you feel after working on such a poignant uh, topic and such a poignant film? It made me feel better for – the gentleman who had gone to um, spend his time in, in the camp. Mm. And uh, I took great satisfaction in that. 
to me, documentaries are amazing. I, there's no, no better, you know, form than a documentary to, to really get into a topic. Speaking of which, another one that you produced, At the Edge of the World, which you gave me a copy of this morning, and it chronicles the controversial Sea Shepherd Antarctic campaign against a Japanese whaling fleet. What was the inspiration there that got you involved with this particular topic? It, it was somebody doing something wrong. Um, in an age when comic book heroes roll the screen, there's something very special about ordinary people willing to take extraordinary chances with no assurance that they'll be around to take the credits. Whether or not a viewer agrees with the cause, the willingness of these volunteers to risk their lives for something greater than themselves and a reasonably good definition of true heroism this is this is an amazing film where basically what would you do Vince that you would be willing to die for this mm. is the this good is question. the movie good question what is it about documentary producing that you really are crazy about i mean you're obviously good at it i mean do you want to continue doing that or uh real estate is my love mm-hmm. um and um just to let you know, At the Edge of the World became Whale Wars on Animal Planet. Um, I love uh, what I do, and at this point, time is uh, tough to find. Well, tough to find, but we I want to ask you about you're writing a book called The Step-by-Step Guide to Professional Success. And you say you have a favorite quote from Vince Lombardi, who I absolutely love, by the way, the late, great football coach. And it says – Winning is not a something, a sometime thing. Let's start again. Winning is not a sometime thing. It's an all-time thing. Unbelievable. Tell us about the book. How far along are you? And is Vince Lombardi a great mentor of yours? I'm about halfway done in the book. And the, really was the catalyst was I was getting calls from brokers from other firms who didn't want to ask questions perhaps of their boss, of a colleague or whatever, who I've known over the years. And there is a formula to success. Um, This book will have it. Other books may or may not have it. This is my read on it. Um, And uh, I think that uh, it will bring some value. Even if you get one thing from it, uh, I hope you enjoy it. Um, Vince Lombardi is about results. I don't want to hear about someone's efforts The real estate business is a tough business. It's survival of the fittest. If you don't realize that when you go out there, you're dead. With 27,000 brokers, you got to go out there and really have your ammunition with you and ready to do what you have to do. Obviously, everything done within the uh, confines of what is appropriate. Um, He is a man that took football, which is a sport, and basically real estate is a sport. Um, The only place success you see before work is in the dictionary. Correct. Um, Quickly, what's next for you? You've done so much. You've been involved in so much. You were super successful in your current profession, real estate. Uh, You want to stay there, obviously. What's next? Um, I think – Doing a deal with Vince would be uh, exciting. (laughs) (laughs) So more real estate. That's what it comes down to. Absolutely. You know, because just quickly, I mean, I think, you know, we've all been, a lot of us have been in this profession. I've done so many things in my career. Uh, Started teaching school, went on to technology sales. There's absolutely nothing 
uh, that can compare to this business because of what everything you've, you, you've talked about, strategies, negotiations, success, being focused, being the, 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 the dress, passionate. passionate, being the dress right. for success person for your clients, all of the above makes this the most interesting thing. And I got to tell you something, the drama that goes with this, and I talk about this many times on this show, uh, the drama that goes along with this, this job sometimes can be overbearing. But you know, at the end of the day, if you are that professional and if you have your sights set on bigger and greater things, it's going to happen. My hour with Craig Stone, Chairman, CEO of Stanton Wells and Stone. Craig, thank you so much for joining us. Hopefully you can come back again. That is Good Morning New York for this week. We are back next Tuesday morning, 9, 9 Eastern, 6 Pacific Time Live. You can always catch the show later in the day on podcast or anytime on our website, voiceamerica.com. For all of us at Voice America all around the world, thanks for being here today, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for tuning in this week. Please join us for another edition of Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco next Tuesday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Here's hoping all of your transactions are successful ones. 